Welcome to the Roxy Roots Podcast for another extra special episode this evening. I am one of your hosts, Tumbles, coming at you from my house. And again, through the screen is... Cranky on the other side of the state. And we have a very special guest this episode, Mr. I.B. Tat, recent Triple Crowner. Hello, sir. How are we all doing tonight? Doing Fantastic. well. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, so I me. guess we'll start with, we don't really, normally we do like a background and, but I think everybody knows you. Um, <laughs> and if so you don't, I, you should. Yes. <laughs> if you don't, you definitely should. So I guess we'll start with, uh, we were talking about this before we started recording. So let's just kind of continue along that vein. Um, how are you doing now that you're off trail and what's going on in the last couple of weeks when did you finish uh september 23rd so it's been you know over two months now since i've been home it's it's the normal process when you get home you're elated when you first finish it's a a sense of relief but you're i mean having done this three times now you know it's inevitable what's coming and that's the whole post trail you know you gotta reintegrate somehow into the the real world Mm -hmm. and and you know i knew that was coming so i'm just dealing with that and trying to trying to plug along and start looking forward to the to the future so if you delve you know delve into this whole i'm off trail and i miss it too much if you start thinking about that too much you'll drive yourself insane so trying to keep my mind off that start looking towards the next next hike you know yeah, totally. I mean, I you're this is the third time you're dealing with it and you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people going through it, they're not- like one and done because sometimes the depression and everything that comes with finishing a long trail is worse than actually through It's never easy. And yeah. it's one of those things you can never plan for either. I mean, as a noob, obviously, it's almost a better your first trail, you don't know what's coming when you get off these trails. It's almost worse having done multiples cuz you know what's coming when you get done right um that's why you see so many repeat offenders out there is because you know you go back to the real world and it's like fuck this you know i mean yeah. this is this is pointless what i'm doing what, what was i doing working in a cubicle all you know all, all year long this is this is not life so exactly. repeat offenders you see a lot of them i'm 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 a lifer at this point <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you that don't know um IBTAT just finished the, well, in September, um, the CDT. So you did the AT and then the PCT and then the CDT. That was your triple crown order, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a natural progression for, I wouldn't say most. A lot of them do it in that order. Um, I've met very few. I think on the CDT this past year, I only met one one or two people. That was their first through hike. You, you meet, especially on the CDT, you meet a lot of people that have already done one of these long trails before. Or at least a very long-ass section hike. Yeah, it's one of the most rugged. Would you say it's the most rugged out of all three? Yeah, it's more remote. It's longer. I would say the CDT combines the worst of the AT and worst of the PCT into one trail. Meaning, you know, you're, you're uh, the terrain's tough like the AT, but then you also have the long water carries of the PCT on top of you're adding, you know, uh, you know, just longer carries in general. You know, on the PCT, you might have one, you know, six, seven day stretch, but on the, on the CDT, that's more normal where you're carrying a lot more food or you're pushing longer miles in a week in between towns. So it just combines like the worst, the hardest parts of the first two trails into one, I'd say. So you just <laughs> answered the next question I was going to ask. I was going to ask, why is that the order? But you, you just answered that. So that makes total sense. So how many liters about, if you're doing like a seven-day water carry, like how much weight, how many liters is that approximately? I mean, everyone is different, but. Yeah, everybody's different. Um, I'm, I was one of those, I've always been paranoid about water, and I've always car- tended to carry more than I knew I really needed. Um, I think the longest water carry, the, the Great Basin um, in Wyoming those are some long-ass dry sections, and the water sources you do get are just horrid. I mean, I think I still have the aftertaste in my mouth from those, some of that water I drank on Wyoming. Um, so I was, if I got up on a good water source, I would load up my capacity, which I think was, uh, I think the most I ever carried was like five and a half liters, which mm-hmm. you're looking at just over two pounds a liter. So it, it, it adds up um, yeah. in water weight for sure. On top of... You know, especially if you're just coming out of town and you got a full pack of food, you know, load up a five, six days of food on top of five and a half liters of water. 
it's a lot of weight. And by that point, in your in Wyoming, you are more than halfway done with the trail at that point. So you're mm-hmm. halfway wrecked at that point too. So I can only imagine what yeah. your knees and feet were saying. Yeah, I like to say you get used to the pain. You never really do. You you your body just almost becomes numb after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, the mornings are always the worst. Coming out of towns are always the worst. Um, but you know, it's just you just deal with it and you move on. There's not much you can do other than quit. So it's like deal with the pain. You're after you get moving a while, your joints loosen up a little bit and your feet go numb and you kind of forget about it. In addition to the water and the food, uh, you carry a lot of camera equipment and a drone for this hike. So in total, if you were loaded up for like a seven-day carry, about how much weight are you throwing on your back? I was, I was pushing close to 50 pounds. I never did weigh my pack. But, um, yeah, if I had to guess, out of town with, like, a six-day resupply and with camera gear and everything else, two liters of water, I was probably rolling around 50 pounds. My luxury item, unfortunately, weighs, you know, my camera gear weighs, like, 10 pounds by itself. So, that's my, my luxury item. It's a heavy one. <laughs> and between what you what you were carrying in terms of camera gear this trail versus what you were carrying mm-hmm. on the AT, night and day? Yeah. Night and day. On the AT, I... Uh, I was carrying a Sony point-and-shoot camera, which is, it's tiny. You can fit in your pocket, basically. Um, that ended up breaking, ended up breaking two or three cameras on the AT just because of rain. Yeah. Um, electronics electronics and camera gear and three-hiking don't really go together. But, yeah, I ended up breaking, like, two or three cameras. And then by the end, I was just filming with my iPhone. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely night and day. I've kind of tried to up my production value over the last couple of trails. But the unfortunate part of that is that just the weight adds up. It's I, worth it to me. Oh, my God. What we see and what we've seen on your Instagram has been absolutely fantastic, especially your Milky Way shots and watching some of your videos on YouTube. You said you used photo pills. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain photo pills and what lenses you've used? Yeah, sure. So photo pills, looking at getting into astrophotography at the CDT, I started doing a little research because I knew nothing about it, really. Um, You need a fast lens for one. um, And... The app I came across, um, just reading photography, blogs, and whatnot, PhotoPills allows you to plan ahead of time, meaning um, it's it's got augmented reality that a lot of these newer phones have. Um, so basically, you can prep shots before you even take them. Or if you, you were to hold your phone up to the sky in the middle of the day, it will show you where the Milky Way will be in the sky at a particular time during the night. So, you know, I could get to camp, frame the shot, knew where I wanted to post up and then be ready for that Milky Way shot um, when it did come up. As far as the lens I carried, it was a uh, 20 millimeter 1.8. Um, so, you know, it's, it's it, it worked out well. And like I said, I, I was new to that and just did a couple test shots, you know, the first week in New Mexico. And then I'm like, okay, I think I got this now. You're, you're very dependent on, well, for one, how tired you are and being able to drag your ass out of your <laughs> tent in the middle of the night to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that at like two or three in the morning, and then you're dependent on the weather as well. If it's a cloudy, happen to be a cloudy night, you know, you're not gonna get a good shot. You so. got up for nothing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, got up for nothing. Did that many times, yeah. <laughs> What's the exposure time on a, a long shot like that? I was doing. They say, uh, I mean, it varies. You got to do um, test shots, and and when I did those Milky Way shots, I probably took six or seven different exposures. Mm-hmm. At different um, different exposure time time frames. So I'll start usually start out like a fifteen second exposure, and okay. see how it turned out. And then if it was too dark, out up at the twenty seconds. If it was still too dark, I'd up at the twenty five seconds. So it's kind of a trial and error type thing. Awesome. So I, was, I was shooting wide open, wide open at one point eight, and with like a fifteen second exposure. That's and then not a lot. I mean, a, you could get quite a bit out of fifteen seconds then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. But having a fast lens comes into play there too. The, okay. the wider. You know, so if you have like a 1.2 or a 1.4 aperture, even better. You're you letting the more light you let in, the better. And yep. I always shoot the Milky Way around a new moon, so the sky was the darkest. darkest. You have a, if you're if you're shooting those shots around a full moon, the, the the light of the moon will actually dull the Milky Way. So I would always try to shoot like three days before and three days after a new moon on top of a new moon. Those were the darkest skies, and the, the Milky Way is going to light up more during those periods. Well, folks, you're getting a free camera lesson right here, so take notes. <laughs> and definitely check I'm, I'm out. 
Um, it's on your Instagram, but I saw that photo in your every photo has a story uh, video series, mm-hmm. which was great. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that out. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that series. I thought that those two were some of your best videos so far. I like those even better than just your on-trail videos. Are you going to do um, more in that series? Because you must uh, have like thousands and thousands of photos. Yeah, I think I have about over 6,000 ca- uh, photos cataloged now from all three trails. So there's a lot. Um, yeah, I enjoy doing those videos, and I'll do more of those. I think, you know, it's with today's social media... It's just scroll, 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 like maybe scroll, scroll, scroll all day long. And you don't really, you like a photo, but you don't know the story behind that photo. Yep. So I think that whole series, every, you know, the whole, the saying, every photo is a story or a uh, photo's worth a thousand words. It's 100% true. When you hear the stories behind some of those photos, the story is sometimes uh, cooler than the actual photo itself. I yeah. Think. And that's, I really, really enjoyed looking at those <laughs> and, and watching those videos. Um, yeah, I'll make more. Yay. Awesome. So in that series, you started out by just giving an update and you were saying that um, you were putting weight back on. So what did um, the most recent hike, what did it do to your body? Like what shape are you in after one of these long trails? I mean, I was pretty wrecked on all three trails physically. Um, I took the worst beating on the CDT. Um, we noticed, like we were, we were watching you from from video to video. Yeah. We're like, he's not doing well. <laughs> Is he okay? Uh, yeah, you never know if it translates on video, but yeah, I was pretty wrecked. Um, you know, once I got through Colorado, my body started shutting down. I mean, Colorado took a shit ton out of my body. Just the elevation, I, my body was wrecked. Mm. Um, and. Uh, <sighs> I, yeah, I think I lost, I never did weigh myself, but I think I lost about 25, 30 pounds on CDT, and I was eating wow. my ass off. It wasn't like I was eating less food than I, I did on any of those other trails, but whatever reason, I'm getting sick towards the end there, mm-hmm. um, and I was just, I didn't have the energy, and uh, it was it was becoming difficult to eat, you know, but you're, I was forcing myself to eat as much as I could. I was just, my body was just trashed, um, and I was drained mes- mentally as well as physically at the end of the CDT. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I, I wonder, um, and of course you would certainly know since you were the one hiking it, but being alone at the end of the CDT versus being with a group at the end of the PCT, was there mm-hmm. some sort of mental difference? I'm sure there was, being distracted by There, your there is. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy hiking alone. And I'll continue to do so. Um, but yeah, the, the few times I have hiked with groups, you, you notice... You know, people pushing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lot easier, especially when you get to camp, and you know when you're when you're dog tired and you're by yourself, you have no one to vent to about <laughs> bitching. Then I tended to do it to the camera, and that's how I vented a lot of stuff. But um, yeah, when you're sitting around camp with somebody else and you look them straight in the eye and you can see they're in just as much pain as you are, it kind of takes the load off. And you're like, well, I'm not the only fucking guy going through this right now. <laughs> they're they're going through the same thing. So it kind of mentally, it helps you a little bit uh, when you're hiking with groups. But, you know, I I enjoy hiking alone (laughs) more than I do, you know, venting to other people at at night. I'll leave it to you followers on YouTube to listen to me bitch about my problems. (laughs) We appreciate it. You kept it real, sir. Yeah, I was was just going to say a lot of, and you said this in your videos yourself, a lot of people just give you the highlight reel. And it makes it look like it's wonderful all the time. You're out in nature, you're reconnecting, you're finding yourself. And the reality is, yeah, there's some of that. But then the flip side of that is your feet are wrecked. You're in pain, you're wet, you're cold. So think of it this yeah, think of it this way. You, you know, I don't watch the news anymore because what what the fuck are they feeding you on the news? It's all the, the good shit. Nobody wants to nobody wants to hear the truth. And people ask me, you know, what vloggers do you watch? I'm like, I don't watch any of them. They all annoy the shit out of me because they're not painting the full picture of what a thruike is. And the people that unfollow me or, or, or complain about me in comments, they they don't like hearing the truth, I think. Because, you know, if you were to hike a long-distance trail, you'll meet 50 other hikers just like me. You just don't see it on YouTube. You know, it's easy to get to a top of a 6,000-foot uh, peak after hiking 2,000 miles in elevation, wait an hour and then say, oh, look at this pretty view. Well, no, I turn yeah. that camera on half a mile before I get to the top. So, 
that's what through hiking is. You're in pain most of the time, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat that shit. It's it's as brutal as it is beautiful. Yes, the views are amazing, and you get that too. But you don't see somebody's ass chafing on YouTube. You don't see their toenails falling off. You know, you don't see him throwing up when he gets to the top of a mountain. You don't see that shit. I try to put as much as that as possible in my videos as I can. Absolutely. Like I said, you have to keep it real because, you know, then people watch these videos and they're like, yes, I can do it. And then they find themselves failing within the first 50 to 100 miles. Yeah, it's very, it's false advertisement. A lot of these videos you see on YouTube. Well, like, again, a lot of people don't follow me because they don't want to hear me cussing and they don't want to see, you know, me, you know, taking a, a shit in a privy. It's like, well, what the hell do you think <laughs> you're taking a shit out there? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, and not only that, you had to, in this video, every uh, uh, photo has a story video that you mentioned that you had a fist fight with meth heads. So, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> no, that, that doesn't happen every day on a through hike. No, that I wouldn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, the story, the story on that was, I, uh, you cross over, well, before you cross over a bridge of the gods into Washington, you're in Cascade Locks in Oregon. And, um... I had hiked in there, and I, I pushed a big mile. I think it was my, one of my biggest mile days on the PCT. I think I did 38 in the rain that day. All, it rained all fucking day. I was like, I'm over it. I, I, you know, it rained on me for like three days in a row. I set my alarm at like 2 in the morning, started hiking, and then I got to Cascade Locks after 38 miles in the evening, and it destroyed my ankle. Um, the next morning, I couldn't put pressure on my ankle when I woke up. Not even with a pack on, nothing. I can barely walk around town. So I, I took three zeros in Cascade Locks to heal. And I said, decided to make myself useful and go dry out my quilt at the, the hotel at a laundromat there. So I said, I'll at least go over there and dry my quilt out. Well, if you're familiar with drying down, it takes all fucking day because you got to put on a low temperature and just, you know, cycle after cycle after cycle. It takes a long while to dry these things. And I had been feeding this, this dryer in the laundromat all day long, you know. And I went over to put one last load in, and these meth heads that come up there, they weren't even staying at the hotel. There was local meth heads. They came, uh, a guy and his girlfriend came to do their laundry, and they ended up putting their wet. They, I still had my machine going. They're like, oh, we got a free dryer here. They put their wet clothes on top of my quilt in the dryer, and I lost my shit. And yeah. uh, I'm like, I'm like, are these your clothes in here? They're like, no, there's not our clothes. Um, and, I, and I just lost my shit on them. Um, the dude attacked me and then I sort of like threw him up against the wall and then his girlfriend started kicking me and she's like, well, if I had a knife right now, I'd cut your ass. And at that point I'm on one ankle, mind you, <laughs> I'm like hobbling around. I'm like, okay, I, the real, this could get shitty real quick. So I grabbed my quilt and just left and then just waited till I left and went out there and finished drying my shit. But yeah, I was pissed. Uh, <laughs> just what you needed. Right. Yeah, there was a weird ass vibe in that town. Cascade Locks is beautiful, but yeah, it was a, a weird vibe in that the whole the whole scene. Can't trust Oregon. <laughs> was it in Oregon? They had, uh, that that was in Oregon. Cascade Locks is where they do PCT days. Oh. I had never been there. I mean, I, mi I missed it on my through hike because I was behind the bubble. But yeah, that's where they have PCT days in Cascade Locks. Cool. It's beautiful if you ever go. Okay. Just be careful of the meth heads. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> uh, fortunately, um, you know that's rare to get an experience like that in town. Um, you know, watching your videos and then our own experiences, most town experiences are generally positive. Although we ourselves got stared at because we were some of the few out there during COVID. Okay. And right at the start, we got some really nasty looks from people driving by. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. COVID. It, it kind of, uh, it was, there was a guilt trip put on a lot of stuff we know about COVID now. Now, the way I always looked at it, I had planned on taking 2020 off anyway okay. for COVID. It just happened to work out that COVID hit when I was going to take my year off anyway. But the way I was looking at it, I was like, if I want to be anywhere, it's in the damn woods. Hmm. I get where they're coming yep. at. Like, especially on the AT, you push in, if you were to push normal through hikers through a normal bubble through there, you got to understand a lot, of, especially a lot of these southern towns in Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, they're small town USAs with a lot of elderly folks. So I get if you're pushing thousands of hikers through these small towns, yeah, it's, you're kind of putting those people at risk when they didn't ask for it, even though that's a trail town. So I get that side of it. But personally, like I'd rather get away from those people and just be in the woods myself. Yes. And that was our thought process as well. There's yeah. no safer place to be other than Right, the and then you just take the proper precautions when you go into town to resupply. You know, I'm, I'm sure hitching was a nightmare, but 
Um, that's understandable. But yeah, wear a mask and, and you know, sanitize your hands and just get in and out as quickly as you can when you have to go resupply. We found that the shuttles that were still operating and the mm-hmm. businesses, the trail related businesses that were still operating were mm-hmm. very grateful that anyone was coming through because they were hurting oh, well, financially. Yeah, and I was at Mountain Crossing, as you guys know. It's the first outfitter you come to, northbound on the AT. And, yeah, when that when that hit, and I was working there, it was like somebody flipped a switch on the hikers. Like, there was nobody pushing through. It was a ghost town up there. It was, it was insane. Um, and then you started to see some stragglers come through, and then eventually the day hikers made it up Blood Mountain. Um, but, yeah, it was crazy. The crowds, um, I was star- sitting there staring at the window. I'm like, where are the hikers at? That's where I came, why I came to work here. Mm-hmm. You just never saw anybody come. It was weird, weird, eerie feeling. Because I know how busy mountain crossings is. When I came on through on my through hike there, shit, there was probably 50 to 60 hikers just loitering around outside the building. Now I'm here in the middle of what's supposed to be the bubble, and there's nobody. It was real creepy. When did you start to see numbers picking up? Uh, I'd say, well, they had closing Blood Mountain. for. I mean, the Forest Service came up and uh, was, like, kicking people off Blood Mountain, uh-huh. uh, even for day hikes, for, like, the first... The first like week and a half it happened when this whole COVID thing went down. So the Forest Service was actually up there patrolling, kicking people off the mountain. Um, like you, you can't be up here right now. Uh, I would say you know close like, like early May they were people were venturing up the mountain, and uh, at that point the Forest Service is like not even you know yeah not even messing with it you know. But they were taking proper precautions in their heads early yeah. on. Right. You know. They're that too weak to slow the spread. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) We found um, being out there during, you know, the height of that, the people that were Mm -hmm. left out there, we actually really enjoyed it because the few people that were left were very Mm -hmm. serious about it. Um, A lot of the day hikers were gone, which most of the time, to be honest, is us just given time constraints. We most of the time are day hikers. But when we were able to do um, some multi-day stuff, that was the mm-hmm. best time to be out there, to be honest. Oh, yeah, there's nobody out there. I mean, you're used to, especially early in the spring, you're, there's 20, 30 hikers at a shelter every single night. So that must have been awesome. I mean, yes. even when I went, I was, I, I was just going up on day hikes myself, maybe an overnighter here and there. And, yeah, it was, it was awesome having a campsite to yourself on the AT. And the spring is very rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we noticed that some of the, the more popular um, road crossings in Georgia where they usually have the trailers and trail magic or free shit and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Ghost town. Nowhere to be found. It yeah, was, crazy. It was that would have been, been shitty. That would have been one of the shitty parts if you threw hiked in 2020 is not getting the obscene amount of trail magic early on. <laughs> and on a normal yeah. year, you don't even need to carry food all the way to like Hiawassee. Exactly. You know, because exactly. there's burgers and hot dogs at every road crossing. And speaking of not having to pick up any food, you were successful once again uh, this season for people contributing to your your food supply. Yeah, it's in, it's still insane to me how many people reach out and want to send me boxes. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's 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 still weird in a sense, but having done this now three times, it's I, I you hear the stories from people that follow you. And then you sort of get it, you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of people. Not I understand that everybody can take six months off their life to go hike. So people like me out there filming every day, it brings the trail to them. Yeah. So it's almost, you know, and for some people, it's almost like watching a Netflix series. You know, you're used to it, especially the daily vloggers. You, you get used to this person. You feel like you know them so that you want to help out. And I get that part of it. But, yeah, I got I got hooked up. It's uh, it's, it's it, it makes my life a lot easier for sure. When I'm filming and uploading these videos in town, you know, whereas most hikers, you get to town and you can just unwind at the hotel, maybe go to the bar, whatever. I'm the asshole at a Starbucks, you know, in front of my iPad for like seven hours uploading videos. So, you know, having to resupply or go run down to the post office and run all the normal errands a hiker does in town, it, it makes it very difficult for me. So when I know I can get to town and have a box of food waiting there, it's just one load off my back that I don't have to go mess with the resupplying. I can get the videos uploaded and get them scheduled for, for people. Totally. And it is definitely appreciated. Um, you know, your videos have been fantastic, great education. And then just better than, like you said, better than a lot of the shit that's out there on these streaming services. So um, thank you for doing that on each of your hikes. Was that any more different 
wow, English. Was that um, any more difficult on the CDT? I mean, the AT is quote unquote wilderness, but you're never more than a couple miles away from a town. Was um, finding internet service and uploading videos, was that any um, more difficult on, you know, the CDT? Yeah, there was a, the it was PCT? a little more difficult. Not not crazy difficult, but there, yeah, there was a couple towns where the Wi-Fi was non-existent. Um, and I just, so I planned for that before I hit the trail. I didn't start uh, publishing videos for like the first week or two until mm-hmm. after I hit the trail yeah. to give myself a little buffer because I assume yep. some of these podunk towns weren't going to have Wi-Fi. And if I had to be a week behind, you know, if I don't upload a video in a day or three days, people are going to assume I'm dead. So I, <laughs> I wanted a little buffer there um, in case. And then it did happen a few times where I had to, carry footage over to the next next town i mean that's what we thought at the end of your pct hike it's like and your at mm-hmm. hike. where are you yes. are you okay yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um while we have you here do you want to tell you told us the story when we passed through um mountain crossings but do you want to briefly tell the story of the end of your pct hike because that is a very interesting story so we I was a little late to the normal people finish, try to finish by October because the Northern Cascades are pretty unpredictable with their winters. Sometimes they can happen mid-September. Sometimes they don't happen. It doesn't happen until like mid-October. You just never know. So you you try to finish by October 1st. Well, I was way behind that bubble. Um, The first snow I ended up getting was like mid-September. Last week of September, I think it snowed. Um, So basically the last, I would say we were in snow the last 120 miles the last 60 miles was like post-holing, oh. breaking trail type type shit. Uh, but really, we were encountering snow the last 120. Well, wow. I got to, I was I was hiking solo, but then after the snow hit, I was like, well, I got to join a group of some sort uh, to make it safe. So I got yep. into a town. I can't remember what town it was. And I was at the McDonald's um, trying to recruit other hikers that were in town to go out with me uh, into the mm-hmm. snow. Yeah. And everybody was dropping like flies. Like, we're not going back up in that shit. I'm, I'm done. I'm going back home. I already booked my flight. So I'm sitting here like, oh, fuck. I'm not ready to be done yet. I'm going up regardless. But I really wanted to go with somebody. Could not recruit anybody to go hiking with me. So I ended up going out solo um, from Stevens Pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew of one group that was ahead of me. They had left the day before me. And I didn't know if I could catch them or not. So I knew a couple of them were very strong. Hikers Beats, who I had hiked around the AT with. I knew he was a strong hiker. And I'm like, damn, I don't know if I can catch these guys, but I'm going to try to. So I ended up pushing big miles by myself for like two, the first two days. And on the third day, I ended up catching this group. Um, and I was relieved <laughs> at that point that I saw their people because I knew we were going up over some dangerous mountain passes in the snow. Mm-hmm. So I joined their group. And uh, from that point on, we were just breaking trail basically for the last 60 miles. And then... Um, we uh, got to got to Hearts Pass, which is about thirty miles to the end, and we had just hiked through a, a three day blizzard. It was just a whiteout conditions, crotch deep snow, and some where it you know snowed gathered. And uh, I remember at one point before we got into Hearts Pass that particular day, um, it had taken us like two hours to go half a mile through the snow. Wow, which is just ridiculous. Um, and so we got into Hearts Pass. There's a privy there, which we saw on Gut Hook. We had all planned on sleeping in that privy that night. We didn't know of this ranger cabin that was there. Well, we got to there. We looked in the privy. It was sprayed with shit. There was, like, shit all over the walls. And it was small. It was very small. We had four of us. Mm-hmm. And it's a blizzard outside. So, like, three or four feet of snow. We're like, fuck this privy. Well, we looked over at the ranger cabin. We walked over there, and there was a little padlock on it. We, we broke it and got in there. Wood burning stove, chairs, you know. There was a pot on the stove. We were able to melt oh, snow for water. Nice. Um, and uh, so we stayed there for two days, dry out all our shit, and uh, that. And then the blizzard passed and the sun popped out, and then that allowed us to push the last 30 miles uh, to the border, which the weather it, it turning worse again. It um, started raining, sleeting, snowing for that last day, I remember, going over Rock Pass. But we got down up over that last pass and then got down in elevation and we were relieved to see the border. We ended up getting fined after the fact for that breaking into that ranger cabin. I think they slapped us with a $180 fine for a $3 padlock. Oh, come on. Which was, I thought was retarded because it's like 
what is that cabin there for? Emergencies, yeah. right? Yeah. So yep. we were there. I don't regret it. You know what I mean? We would have been in a dangerous hypothermic situation if we hadn't. So looking back, I don't, I pay the fine, whatever, if you're worried about it, but that's what that cabin's there for. So I have no regrets. It, it pretty much allowed us to, to finish the trail. No, so, totally. And a lot of people will say like, well, they shouldn't have been out there in those conditions anyway. Well, tell that to a through hiker who had just hike, got hike, done hiking 2,500 miles to just go ahead and up and call it quits at that point. Fuck that. I'm going, if I might hiking that far i'm making it to the border and that's oh, what we yeah did. and you did it you found a group you did it as safe as possible and at that point it's you know break into a cabin or or yeah. have serious health risk potentially not make it so yeah and the other shitty part about that was we left that cabin cleaner than when yep. we, it was when we showed up like we had cut them more firewood we had swept the floors you know when we walked in there there was mouse shit everywhere it was like trash and we cleaned it all up cut them more firewood and they still find us for it so whatever i hope that money went to good use one would hope but to add insult to injury you also lost your camera up there yeah yeah sure did lost that up at uh that stevens pass so when i told you oh. i got into stevens pass with the town where i was trying to recruit hikers to go back out that day when I hiked down into the pass is when I lost my camera. So that that whole story, um, the day before, I was hiking with my, my friend Feathers. We had hiked through, like, uh, it was raining all day, like 10 hours of rain, cold rain, up in, you know, Pacific Northwest. Well, she was the smart one and pushed a longer day into town the night before. Okay. And I was, my body was trashed. I was sick of hiking through the rain. So I ended up setting up camp seven miles out from the pass, thinking, oh, it's only a seven-mile day. I can do that before breakfast in the morning. Well, it was turned out to be a horrible decision because that's, that rain turned to a blizzard overnight, and the temperatures dropped below freezing. And I woke up to a good four inches of snow on the ground in blizzard conditions. And all my shit was soaked from the day before. So my boots were frozen. Everything was frozen. I packed up as quick as I could and started hauling ass to Stevens Pass um, in the snow. I got up over the pass finally. It was whiteout conditions. I tried to text feathers because I couldn't see the trail. I didn't know. I was stuck up on top of this pass in whiteout conditions, and I couldn't see the trail. I'm like, I don't know where to go. So I'm trying to text her on where the trail is at. Well, is there a landmark I can spot to get off this pass? And I couldn't. She, she never responded, so I'm kind of just looking for footprints in the snow. I was the only one out there. Didn't see any footprints, and luckily I managed to find the trail. Got off the pass. By that time, I had an ice beard down mid-chest, and my hands were and feet were numb. Well, I was tripping in snow banks because I was discombobulated as hell at that point. I was tripping all the time in the snow because you couldn't see the rocks underneath the snow, so I'd hit a boulder or something or a rock, and just completely face-planted in the snow. Well, at one time, I'd, I'd slipped... And face planted in the snow, and I hold my my camera on a little clip on my shoulder strap. Well, the screw had turned, come loose, and when I tripped and fell, my camera had fallen off into a snowbank. At that point, I was so discombobulated from the situation, I didn't even notice it had fallen off. Uh -huh. I was got, got down in the pass. I was so relieved to be down and dry and warm. It was, it was a ski resort there at Stevens Pass. They weren't quite open for the winter season yet, but mm -hmm. ski patrol was there prepping everything. So lucky the ski patrol guys were there. They let me into their private quarters. They had a washer and dryer, let me dry out my shit. And I was just relieved to have coffee and be dry. But then I looked over at my pack and realized, holy shit, my camera's not on my pack. And then I looked up out the window at that snow. I'm like, holy shit, that mountain just ate my camera and I'm never going to see it again. And that was the end of the camera. Mm. Still sitting up there, probably. Probably. <laughs> I mean, how, uh, much how much footage did you, did you lose? lose? Shut up, Cranky. You shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was butthurt about that, too. I think I lost about three days of footage. Oh. Yeah, I was pretty pissed oh. about it. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I'd, I was smart enough um, before I'd actually dumped my photos off onto my iPad, so I, I didn't lose any photos. But, yeah, I lost, okay. like, three days of video footage. Oh. Shit. <laughs> All right, we're I'm kind of picking and choosing where we want to go yeah, we're next. We're very bipolar we with this you, episode, so yeah, I don't want to keep it too yeah, much longer. But there's a couple things that you know I want to ask about. Um, so again, going back to your every photo has a story. Um, the AT finish photo is obviously it's an awesome photo and it has you know tremendous meaning for you. Do you get the same feeling? Um, finishing, or did you get the same feeling finishing the other two, or is it kind of like 
you know, I've done this before. Does that feeling of accomplishment stay the same or does it fade with each of these long trails? No, it stays the same. It's, it's always awesome. I would say it's hard to re- replicate that feeling I had on the AT. That one was special um, just because it was my first through hike and I had planned that hike for like, I had been thinking about the finishing the Appalachian Trail for like four years. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a long time coming. Uh, when I did that trail, I, I was newly sober, you know, I just got into backpacking and, you know, when I got up to Katahdin, uh, like a, a Rolodex of terrible memories, all the work that I put into getting on that trail to begin with, then all the work that I, I put on, on the trail itself, all flash flooded in my head when I got to that sign. So that one was particularly special. But PCT and CDT, you know, that sense of accomplishment you feel is is always special when you finish one of these long trails. Like I said earlier, it's almost like a, a sense of relief too because you're in such agony and your body's just so wrecked. So it's almost a sense of relief, but then the accomplishment you feel, it's, it's pretty awesome. And that, that hike out when you uh, finish these trails, like on the, on the PCT, it was like an eight-mile hike into Manning Park across the Canadian border. And then on the CDT, I hiked the Pacific Northwest Trail out. Those hikes were just like, that's when you can reflect on what the hell you just did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you mentioned that one of the movies that you brought with you on the CDT was Jeremiah Johnson. So having seen that, I did a little bit of research, but what about that movie? What about uh, Jeremiah Johnson? And that's where your trail name comes from as well. What about mm-hmm. that story speaks to you? So the the whole story of Jeremiah Johnson is ba- loosely based off a real mountain man, um, John Johnston, who the real life character was was gnarly. It's nothing really like Robert Redford's character in that movie. This guy, his nickname was Liver Eating Johnson in real life. The rumor, it's not nothing. <laughs> these aren't facts, but the rumor states that they used to kill Crow Indians and eat their livers. Um, so <laughs> that's the real story. There's actually a book called Crow Killer: The Saga of Liver Eating Johnson. Um, but the, the, the movie I'm drawn to because I just love the whole story. Of Robert Redford is you know. He's sick of the real world, and he just goes off grid and says, "I'm going to be a fur trapper." And I, I can relate to that story. It's the same story you see with like Chris McCandless, and goes off in the middle of nowhere. Maybe mm-hmm. he's not experienced, but he knows he, there's something else out there for him, and he'll learn as he goes. It's kind of like through hiking too. And I hadn't done I hadn't done any long distance hiking before the AT, you know, like maybe a week long section here and there, but it was all new to me too. And as learned as you go. And by the end of it, and same thing with Jeremiah Johnson's character, by the end of the movie, he's a seasoned, you know, fur trapper. And it's like he's been living up there his whole life. So you almost feel like that way, the transition you go through, um, especially in the Appalachian Trail, from start to finish, you feel like you're a seasoned backpacker, which you really are at that point. Um, the, the whole trail name thing is, I, 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 I be attached to where I've been to a town. It's a line from the movie. Basically, Jeremiah Johnson's character, he's being attacked by Crow Indians the whole movie. Well, his mountain man buddy, they're sitting around a fire one night, and uh, his buddy's like, you know, you're, you're getting attacked by these uh, would-be assassins. Maybe you should get out of these mountains and go down to a town where it's safe. And he looked at him, he says, I've been to a town. Like, he, he had no desire to go back to that world, even though he's out here and people are trying to kill him. The mountains is his home, and that's where he's, he feels safe. So, I end up using that as my YouTube channel name way back before I started through hiking. By the time I'd hit the AT, I, people found out I was a YouTuber, told them my channel, and it stuck as a trail name. People assume these days it's because of my tattoos, but, which I let them think that now because it's easier than explaining the real story. Well, that's um, what we thought when we first from. heard about you. We thought That's what most people do. Yeah. 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 I mean, it goes hand in hand now, so a lot of people assume that just because, you know, I don't want to tell the story 5,000 times, but... You know, some people I'll, say, I'll tell the real story too, and they think that's even cooler. So well, that's where it comes from. I've been to, to a town. Our, our podcast episode, so no one has to ask you anymore. That's a deal. <laughs> no, it'll it'll still happen. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, your own story is similar. Um, the real guy's name was John Johnston. Um, your story is kind of similar to his. I mean, he had a bunch of different jobs: a fur trapper. Um, mm-hmm. He did a bunch of different things, and that's kind of, you know, watching your videos, 
what I gather you've done as well. I mean, you were in Montana doing trail trips on horses. You were a line cook. Um, how did those experiences prepare you for through hiking? It, it made me realize the whole, you know, when you're in when you're high school, at least I was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like some people have a plan, go to college, do whatever. I, I never had a plan. I never knew what I wanted to do with my life. So it's like I went to college just because that's what I was supposed to do. Got out of college and then, you know, started working these odd jobs. And um, it was just, I just wanted to travel, really. I took weird-ass jobs so I could move around a lot. Um, so I ended up, you know, moving to Texas and doing construction for a while. And then I somehow, by chance, I got a job up in Montana as a, as a guide up in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. So I went and did that. Then, then my drinking problem took over. And uh, moved to North Carolina after I sobered up, became a line cook. I I cooked on and off up until that point, but it was just a way of traveling. I didn't really care what I really care what I was doing. I just wanted. I knew I wanted to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, so all that just I was preparing me for a life I'd already been doing. Really, just a different mode of transportation. I said, well, what the hell? I just hop on one of these trails and walk across the country for six months. So, you know, when I was younger, I was the kid, like, running away from home, down the train tracks. Like, this is not new for me. The through-hiking thing is kind of new, but I've always been in uh, a nomadic mindset. I just want to move around a lot. Mm -hmm. So the whole white picket fence in the suburbs thing has never appealed to me in the slightest, and it still doesn't. You know, I don't know where I'm going to end up next year. I really don't care. As long as I can see some cool shit along the way, that's all I'm worried about. I mean, that's actually what I was going to ask. Uh, once you recover a little bit more, what's next on your trail schedule? If you have a what's next, uh, I'll do. I'm uh, I'm towing. So, like I, like I said, when you get done with these trails, you like you what? don't even want to think about through hiking for a while. Like I was over it, especially the CDT destroyed me. So I was like, fuck hiking. I didn't want to look <laughs> at my gear anymore. Well, that quickly goes away, and the whole your leg starts twitching a little bit, and that whole mindset's like, all right, now. I'm back to normal. What can I do next? Mm -hmm. It's just an endless cycle. Well, don't so, we yeah, know I've it. been toying. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, run, yeah. we run marathons, half marathons, and we're totally wrecked yeah. at the end of a long race. But yeah. most likely the day after we're like, when's, when's the, next the next one? one? Yeah. It's a, it's almost like a drug. It, it, is. it really is. And uh, you see people that, you know, you start off with the AT. It's kind of like the quote-unquote beginner trail, if you want to call it. I really don't believe that, but that's what a lot of people start with. And then you progress to the PCT, CDT. Then you see guys going off and doing, like, the great Alaskan Traverse or they get into bikepacking or it's just what's the next coolest thing I can do. Um, I've been looking at trails to do for next year. I'll be out there doing something. I would like to go overseas. That's my main goal. I would love to go overseas and do something because – you know, I've never been overseas. I do want to count Canada and Mexico, but I really don't count those. I want to go across the pond and hike something. So I'm looking at uh, possibly going coast to coast in Scotland next year. Um, if I can make that happen, I'd like to do that. It's the Scottish National Trail mm -hmm. um, goes coast to coast. It's about 530 miles. It looks the whole uh, West Highland Way and the, and the Scottish Highlands look amazing. Yep. Um, for photography alone, I love to do that. I'll probably piss rain every single day, Scottish <laughs> weather, but I really don't care. It looks gorgeous, and I've always wanted to go there. So I'm, I'm looking into the details of how I can make that happen. Um, smaller trails in the U.S. I've also looked into, like the AZT or Long Trail, um, something like that I can do in a month or two. Mm -hmm. um, I'll do something next year, um, but I'd really like to go overseas if I can make it happen. Well, I'm hoping all these variants just chill the hell out so you can. Yeah, I mean, the COVID, the borders have opened up. When I checked online, I think there's still like a 10-day, you have to quarantine, quarantine yourself for like 10 days, I mm -hmm. believe. Yep. Um, but, you know, that's a small price to pay to be out and hiking the Scottish Highlands, I think. Oh, we'll we'll I, see if we can't make it happen. Oh, excellent. <laughs> oh, well, we're looking forward to it if, if you do decide to head over there next year. Uh, it would be I, awesome. I hope I can make it happen. IB Tech goes international. You'll be like Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be like Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you got there, Crank? Um, I think we've kept you almost an hour. I think that's about kind of what we had wanted to cover. This has been fantastic. 
Um, I don't know if you have been listening to any of our episodes, but we have decided to blatantly rip off Kyle O'Grady and Trail Tales. Because he doesn't um, do it anymore. He hasn't had yeah, an episode in like since, months. He hasn't done an episode since August. You know, I, I've been on Kyle's show for three times now, and yeah. I was uh, waiting for his phone call to get back on there again and bullshit with him. I met him actually on my through hike on the ATs. We hiked it in the same year. So I actually met him up in, in Maine. Um, I can't, in Caratunk, I believe. It was crazy because I remember just blatantly we were sitting around the hostel. And he had mentioned to me, you know, when I get off this trail, I'm going to start a podcast. And he ended up doing it. So, yeah, I hope he, he keeps, uh, he does it again. I'm sure he, he's done a lot of interviews, so it's probably, I'm sure it's taking a toll on him. Oh, I would I would think so. I mean, he's been enjoying his YouTubing. That's what yeah, he's Yeah, he's kind of switched to yeah. his YouTube channel is great. Um, I know yeah, you don't I've watch seen a couple of, I've seen a couple of his videos, yeah. So we have kind of, we're blatantly ripping him off. So do okay. you have, you've told us a lot of stories so far. Do you have any particular story you want to share to kind of wrap this up? Either something funny or something that you didn't talk about that would be interesting to hmm. kind of close this out. Oh, I mean, put me on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, but we are putting you on the spot. <laughs> you know, the, the craziest thing that happened to me on the CDT, and it, it wasn't a video, but and I don't know if people understand the, the extent of how dangerous it was when I took that glissade down in Colorado. I don't know if you remember that episode, and I am breaking up my knuckles really bad. Yes. Um, it was sketch as hell. Now, that, that you know, you're up in the San Juans hiking through these, you know, up at elevation doing these snow traverses like you, you, like you do in the Sierra. And um, I'd hiked out solo, and um, again, I was hoping to run into a group, you know. Um, so I got up to the top of a pass. I can't remember what pass it was, but um, I saw a group that was down below, like halfway down the pass on the right side of this ice traverse. And I had assumed when I got there that they had glissaded down because there was a glissade mark from hikers that have done it. So I yelled down to them. Well, the wind was whipping so hard that they couldn't hear me yelling. And I was like, how is that glissade? How is that glissade? They never answered. Never knew I was up there. So in my head, I'd assumed they glissaded. So I said, well, I'll just scoot, you know, slide down this mountain real quick and catch up to them so I can be with the group the rest of the time. Well, that turned out to be a bad decision. What they ended up doing was rock scrambling down the right side of the trail, and they didn't glissade. That thing was a, sh- a sheet of ice, basically. And you're talking about a, a, a drop-off like that. It's like a 70-degree slope. Well, I get down there, dig in my ice axe, and push off, and then... I immediately knew that was a stupid mistake. As soon as I took off, like, there was no slowing down. I had my axe dug in as hard as I could to slow down. And then meanwhile, I'm just picking up speed. And meanwhile, my knuckles, I can feel them just getting cut up like glass on the ice the whole way. And I I, I probably topped out at like 25, 30 miles an hour. Um, Wow. The only thing thing that stopped me was there was a small boulder in the middle of the uh, the ice traverse. I saw it when I was coming towards it, and um, I, I stuck my feet out and uh, kicked that boulder, and it slowed me down enough. And then I kind of I slowed me down enough to where I could scoot my ass out of the ice shoe off onto the harder, you know, crunchier snow. And um, at that point, I'd reached the group, and they had kind of reached out with their trekking poles, and I grabbed the trekking pole, and they pulled me aside. And the whole way down, my water bottles are flying. My camera lenses are flying. It's just everything was was trashed. And um, I, uh, they were in shock. They're like, what the fuck did this guy just do? And uh, I didn't feel any pain because I was just adrenaline was just going through the roof, right? Well, I got up, kind of composed myself. They went and gathered my shit for me. Meanwhile, I looked down and, well, I heard one of the other hikers like, Dude, you're like bleeding like a stuck pig. I'm like, what? I looked down at my hand, and my knuckles were just basically hamburger meat. Um, and I was just blood dripping down my arm. And then I looked, and my elbow was the same way, just like dirt and mud, just caked in cuts. It was just, <laughs> it was, I was in rough shape. And um, I was, stu- I'm one of those stupid hikers that carries very little in the way of medical stuff. I had basically a couple of band-aids on me. Well, one of the hikers luckily in the group was a former paramedic. So he was like, carried way too much shit. He had gauze and all this other stuff. So he kind of bandaged me up. And then I hiked on with that group the rest of the week. But then the pain kicked in. And on top of hiking in the San Juans and snow at elevation, 
I'm also dealing with my hand all raked up and my elbow all raked up. It took a good month and a half or so to get healed up. But yeah, that was that was sketchy. Look, looking back, you know, I could have easily died, broken bones, whatever. And in fact, a week after I went down that ice chute, another hiker did the same thing I did. She ended up breaking both of her legs and had to be airlifted out of there. So, yeah, <laughs> once I heard that, I was like, holy shit. Well, I'm not the only stupid one, but yeah, it could have turned out a lot worse for me than a couple scraped knuckles. Oh, so very, very fortunate. Oh, I'm sorry about your arm and your knuckles, but Jesus. <laughs> Lucky. We're all healed up now. It was a, it, it's a it's a good thing in hindsight. I mean, look, looking back, it's it, you learn a lot of shit, and that's you know when you're out there, like you go through shit like that pretty unscathed, but it teaches you not to do stupid shit like that again. So I'll never go down an ice chute like that early in the morning. You know, you go see it in the afternoon when the ice is it's not ice anymore. It's more like uh, it would have been fun in the afternoon, but in the morning it was just a sheet of ice. So. You, you you learn by your own mistakes, and I'll, I'll surely never do that again. <laughs> no, most definitely. We're glad you're in one piece. <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, there's one last question, and it's probably sure. the most important question of the night. How is your puppy? Oh, where is he? He's passed up. Roscoe, you want to be on a podcast, Mom? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> buddy. Mrs. Cranky will be very happy with this. She might actually listen to this episode. My wife doesn't listen to these, but if I tell her that Roscoe made an appearance, she may actually listen to this one. That's how I get her to watch your videos. Give him a hug from us, please. Will do. <laughs> awesome. So if you wouldn't mind, Tad, please plug all of your social media stuff so people can find you. Uh, I don't do much anymore. I mean, I'm on Instagram. Saved by Mountains is my Instagram. And uh, YouTube is IBTAT, I-B-T-A-T. Uh, I've got all my videos. I film every day on each one of these trails, so they're all on playlists on YouTube. You can go back and uh, binge away on those videos. There's a lot of them to see. We do like to go back and watch your your OT videos on the AT. It's always fun. Yeah, those when we do our section hikes, we try to find the equivalent of what you did, and it's been helpful many times. Good, yeah. good. Um, I, when you said uh, you've learned a lot from my videos, I was chuckled because I always <laughs> think to myself, this is for entertainment purposes only, but if you can learn something, uh, mistakes or otherwise, um, from my hikes, that's always a good thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us this evening. And uh, of course. good luck, and we hope to chat with you again, perhaps in the new year. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you have in store for yourself. I'll be around. Thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome. Always a pleasure. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. As per standard, love us and like us on the gram. Rocks underscore and underscore roots underscore pod. Cranky, what are we on TikTok? Uh, the same thing, because we are semi-professional. We're the same across <laughs> all platforms. So it's the same on Instagram and TikTok. So rocks underscore roots underscore podcast. I don't remember our email. And so until next time, folks, ciao.